thou thouest can sit down it. Go goeth forth and take a seat. It. Uh, <laughs> all right. Good morning, everyone. Man. All right. We're doing good. So uh, it's kind of nice when the Holy Spirit just kind of throws a couple of curveballs at you and stuff. So we'll just. Uh, I've just got a, something I want to share with you this morning before we. Just kind of wrap up today, but uh, we've already let the Lord do some great stuff, huh? Get some good words from the Lord today, amen? Man, it's good. That was really good. So uh, uh, turn with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, kind of near the end of the New Testament there. And uh, so not the Gospel of John, but the letter 1 John. And I, I want to share with you... A little bit more about God's ravished heart and His desire for you. We've been in this series. It's really been kind of this spiritual journey of us pressing into God's heart and letting Him invade us with His heart. And we're convinced that, if, that God's love is the, is the root cure that will heal the, the various things going on in our life. You know, we've, sometimes we'll say, you guys remember that we've said, if there's a fruit problem, there's a... Root problem, right? And so whenever it is that we're struggling with something in our lives or our relationships or our emotions or something like that, we're convinced from the Word of God and from our experience, to be honest, that God's love is the, is the truth that will heal us and set us free. And so we believe that at the very core of our being, the Lord wants to come and heal us. And really, First John actually says what I just said, just in different words. But uh, so we've just been uh, just really pressing into God's love because we want God's love to heal us and we're convinced that his love will change our hearts and then cause us to love others and love him with his love. Amen? That we'll be holy like he's holy, that we'll actually love like he loves. And so in 1 John, we'll start in uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. John says, uh, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Right? Verse 8, if there's a root problem, there's a, I mean, sorry, if there's a fruit problem, there's a root problem. If you don't love, it's because you don't know the one who is love. Right? Verse 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this... The love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. When you get that root cured, it'll cause you to love like He loves. Look at just one more verse just for the sake of time, in verse 19. He sums it up as, we love because He first loved us. My New King James translation says, we love Him because He first loved us. Some translations drop out the word Him. Either way, it doesn't matter because the context is, we love Him because He first loved us. And then the next verse, verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? The, the context is loving God and loving people because he first loved us. You'll notice if you go backwards 
to verses, uh, what we were reading there in uh, verse 9 and verse 10, he literally gives you a definition of love. And we have been saying over these last number of weeks that God defines love and how God has loved us in Christ. What God has done for us through Jesus is the definitive statement of what, God's, what, what love is. That love is not an emotion or a feeling or it's not defined by our culture or movies or books that we read, but it's defined by God. And specifically how God has loved us in Christ. That you can look at the cross and you know what love is. That the cross, is, but, it, but at the same time you can look at the cross and you know what, who God is. The cross, Jesus Christ himself, all that he is, all that he did and taught and said is perfect theology. But the cross it's where everything becomes crystal clear. This is what God is like. This is how God loves. And we have seen that this love is a holy love. That God is not like us. That he is completely other than. And even though we're made in his image, he's completely, infinitely, transcendently above us. We, we are finite. We'll never be creators, right? I mean, he is the creator. He is infinite. We might have, we might, we, we're, we're creative people. We have wills, we have intellect, but all of that because simply we're made in the image of the one who is infinitely all of those things, amen? So we saw that he's holy, but he's not just holy in the sense that he's sovereign or holy in the sense that he's, that he's uh, righteous or holy in that way. No, we saw that holy is that umbrella term, that holy means that he's holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely different and unique, infinitely, transcendently, eternally other than God. And so he's holy in his love. This is perfect love that God chose to love a people and create us, right? And this is what we've been looking at these last number of weeks, that, that God uh, has loved us and he has desired us. That this tells us, you know, we all know, okay, so God created the world. God sent his only son. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He's coming back. We know what he's done. But in this series, we've been looking at why he did it, why he's doing it. We, we looked at the fact that he created because he desires us, because he wants relationship with us. He chose us before the creation of the world. It had nothing to do with our actions or anything. Just I'm choosing to create you and to make you for myself. We saw even last week that God created the world to be his son's inheritance, that Jesus came and died for us. He died because we're the joy set before him. We are the treasure of Jesus' heart. We're his inheritance. We're the ones that were made for him. That we would enjoy him and he would enjoy us. And so when he died for us, he was dying to get his treasure back. He was dying because he loved us, because he wanted us, right? And we saw last week that he isn't coming back until he gets his inheritance, the nation's. That he's not going to come back for something other than what he died for. That he created us because of desire. He died for us because he desires us. And he's coming back because he desires us. All of human history is about the burning, passionate desire of God for humanity. It's about the jealous love of God. It's about his affections and desires and longings to have relationship, oneness with people. This is the theme of the whole Bible. And this is literally... What is driving human history? All of human history is leading where the sovereign God is willing it to go. And yet, what is moving in the heart of this sovereign God? He's not some cold, unfeeling, distant stone that sits on like some dead throne, right? He is the living God, a consuming fire. His name is jealous. He's burning with desire for people. 
And so we've been, we've been seeing into this a little bit, right? Barely scratching the surface. How God is moved with compassion at our brokenness. I mean, come on, think about it. God, who hates sin, whose wrath is over sin. Remember, we saw that God's not like an angry God. He's not just like in a bad mood. But sin angers him. It grieves his heart. It wrongs his righteousness, right? It goes against his righteous standards. And so his wrath is upon that which is sin. Yet the same God, the same God, with the same burning jealous love that makes him hate sin, that same God, he took his own wrath on himself. That's what that means there in verse 10, that he made Jesus a propitiation. It means that God actually gave his son as a sacrifice in place of us to satisfy his own just Anger against sin, his own wrath against sin. You see, it's this is what we've been seeing, right? That his mercy triumphs over judgment, right? That that that, that fire that burns in his heart is a fire of jealous love. But that's the craziest thing that this God. That this God who created us for relation with himself, that he cares more about being in relationship with us than he does about his righteous standards being broken by his people. We are the ones who rebelled against God. Amen? We are the ones on the wrong side. Yeah? He is good. He is perfect. He is right. He's never done anything wrong. He's a good dad. He's never broken any promises. But we've rebelled against him. We don't trust him. We don't believe him. We, we, we look to other things to satisfy us when, when he is the only one. And yet, despite all of that, he says, I would do anything to get you back. I'll do anything to get you back to me. And what did he do? The sinless one, the righteous one, bore sin in his body. The infinite God became a human being so that you and he could be in a relationship. Infinite God put on humanity. God became a man. The sinless, righteous one bore sin in his body. The author of life died. Can you imagine? God killed his own son to satisfy his own just righteousness. So Romans 3 says that he would be both just and the justifier of those who put their faith in, in God. This is the love of God. That God loved you first. You didn't love God first. He loved you before the creation of the world. He loved you when you were a sinner. He loved you when you were far away. He loved you first. This is love. This is love, it says in verse 9 and 10. This is love. This is the definition of love. That God would sacrifice himself so you could be in a relationship with him, even though you were the one with the problem. Your problem became his problem because he wanted you that badly. Come on, we're talking about God who owns everything. He owns the universe. He could just make a new one if he wanted to. He says, no! Right? God is not a grumpy, impatient, frustrated God. I mean, come on. He's been waiting 2,000 years to come back. How patient is that? 2,000 years he's been waiting for the nations to become his inheritance. He's not frustrated. He's patient. 
He's absolutely, the Bible calls him zealous, full of passionate resolve and commitment. He's just set. He's resolved. He's like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to have the nations of my inheritance. He's not discouraged. He's not weary. He's not giving up. He's not frustrated. He's absolutely patient. Come on, look at the Old Testament. I mean, my goodness, they kept sinning. Israel kept sinning, 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 sinning. And he just kept bringing, you know, they cry. I'm so sorry. Just bring me back. Okay. God start crying. They cry. God would cry. He'd, re- he'd, okay, I'll rescue you again. I'll rescue you again, right? The whole Old Testament is a story of God's faithfulness to his people, despite their own unfaithfulness. This is how he loves. This is the definition of love. Patient love, jealous love, passionate desire, kindness, compassion, graciousness. Can you, can, you, can you imagine anything else more extravagant, more reckless than God loved and gave his son? That is the definition of graciousness. The definition of extravagant giving that I would give to you. His only begotten son, so that you could have life. God's a giver. He's a lover. He's patient. He's kind. He's passionate. This is who God is. And this is what we're seeing here. That we love him because he first loved us. We love him and we love others because he first loved us. That our love is always a response. He is always the initiator. And he has chosen to love us. We are always responding to the Lord. <clears throat> Have you ever tried to uh, yell at a rose to open up? <laughs> Come on! Open up already! Blossom! In the name of Jesus! You know what I'm saying? You sinner! You're a horrible rose! You just need to try harder! Right? You're so selfish. (laughs) Open. Have you ever tried to open a rose with your own hands? Stubborn things, aren't they? Uh, I tried that once. I probably was just bored. You you just end up butchering the rose. You know, the rose. (laughs) uh, Oh, well. It's a big mess now. Right? That's called religion. So... Some of us feel like that. We've been religiously abused. Somebody tried to force me open. Not just a mess of petals here. Uh, how, do, how does a rose open? Right? It responds, doesn't it? It's awakened by, I'm sure uh, Luke, the gardener, can tell me another day. No, I'm joking. So, when it's time, of course, when the when the weather and the seasons are right, but to sun, yes, to rain. I mean, don't flowers, they open to receive the rain that's coming to them. They open and they turn themselves to catch that light so they can grow. They respond to what? Life. It's life-giving. And they hunger for life. And they open up. And, of course, we don't need to get all too graphic about you know, everything, but they open to reproduce. You know what I'm saying? All right, here we go. You guys aren't catching the humor there. Okay. But they open as a response to life to produce more life. Right? See, 
you'll only love God as much as your revelation of His love for you. This is love, that He loved us first. We love because He loved us first. It's a response. If you want to get a flower to open, you give it what it needs, right? If you want a person's heart to open to you, you give them what they need, right? See, my, my daughter, I love my daughter, we, my wife and I are convinced, and you know, you can, you can debate this all if you want, but my wife and I are convinced. You put my daughter in a different home, and she'd be completely different. See, when she was born, she didn't trust. I don't think she trusted. When I'd pick her up, she'd wake up immediately, tense. Uh, she, she probably, I mean, I'm sure she was trusted Michelle, but she wouldn't really look us in the eye, kind of on her own. And we've begun to realize now more and more that she's a deep feeler. She's got a, oh, it's, she's like, there's some force in that girl. You know what I'm saying? Like, like dude, she's just going to become a creative uh, leader and just, uh, but she feels deeply. So if she doesn't feel that you love her, she goes into her independent thing. And I, she was born this way. Well, I guess, you know, she has an issue. Let's just let her deal with it, right? Or, or insecure. Oh, she doesn't love me or she doesn't feel comfortable, so we'll just pull away. No, see, I'm too stubborn for that. <clears throat> and my wife is too. I'm convinced she's only two and a half, that we've pursued her, and we will continue to do so because people go through different seasons of their life and they'll change and they'll go through this and they'll go through that. But I believe that the reason why she's opening to us, both to my wife and I in different ways, is because we have pursued her. We've got down on her level. We've gotten into her life. My wife uh, dressed up one night and let my daughter put makeup on her. We couldn't take any pictures because we, I'd, probably have to go, I'd probably go to jail because it looked like she was beaten. My wife. <laughs> like the makeup look. Let me make sure everyone understands how, so everyone thinks I didn't beat my wife. The makeup made it look literally like she was beaten. It was hilarious. And so we couldn't take any pictures. We just kept it to ourselves. But, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it was amazing. But it caused my daughter to open up, right? You know, nowadays, I do this on purpose. Nowadays, when she's going somewhere, I go, I love you. And she goes, I love you, Daddy. Like, I do it to awaken response. And, of course, we've all seen kids that are childlike, and they, they are extravagant in their love, right? That's part of childlike faith. You know, I tell this to husbands all the time, all the time. Not that I'm good at it, but I say it all the time. That, uh, I say, oh, yeah, well... If you want your wife to open up to you, you want her to pursue you. How many men all the time wanting their wives to pursue them? It's like, dude, come on, get up, grow up, man. Uh, you know, men oftentimes, you know, they feel dishonored. It's valid. They feel hurt by their wife too. Fine, wonderful. But the Bible says love, love your wives as Christ of the church and gave himself for her, right? 
I tell men all the time, you want your wife to actually like want you, pursue you, that kind of a thing? Go after her. Pursue her. Woo her. Draw her. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Ladies, this is not to, to put you down or anything. I hope you don't feel this way. I hope you agree with me. But I'm convinced that a husband can literally adorn his wife with beauty by his words. Or do the opposite. I'm convinced a husband can either fill his wife's tank up with trust, the bank, the trust bank up with trust, or deplete it just by his words. What I mean is so many men, they're so deceived. They're thinking like, oh, my, my wife doesn't like me. Or, I don't know, my wife's mad at me or whatever. I mean, all these different things. And, of course, there's two sides to every story, two sides to every relationship. Right? It takes two to play tennis. So I'm not trying to blame one or the other or whatever. But God has created the man to be like Jesus in this way, in this specific way, to be the initiator, to die first, to pursue first, and to awaken and woo the heart of his wife like Jesus has awakened and wooed the heart of his bride, the church. I'm only giving these as examples, just examples to say you can't love God more than your revelation of his love for you. You can't desire God more than your revelation of his desire for you. What do we need? We need, a desi- we need an understanding that he wants me, desires me, loves me. And yet so many Christians walking around saying, I love God, I love God, God, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And all they're trying to do is avoid that guilt feeling inside, you know. We, f- we feel like we're falling short. We feel like we don't really love God. We feel selfish. We feel this. And maybe some of those things are true. Maybe we are selfish. Wonderful. Great. You're selfish. There it is. Whew. Good. Let's get it out on the table. You're selfish. Woo. Praise God. We're being honest. Great. What are you going to do about it? Well, I could beat myself up about it. I could try to like, arouse and awaken selflessness within me. That'll last a couple of years uh, where you say yes to everyone. You, f- you, act, you go to church. You feel like being a good Christian is saying yes to everyone. You'll burn out. You'll get mad at everyone. You'll find out it really wasn't love. You were just doing that to appease people and make them feel good about you, right? You were just doing it so people wouldn't be mad at you. I mean, right? We, oh, no, I do it because I love people. Now I'm mad because they didn't give back to me. No, that just wasn't really God's love. How do you actually become a person that gives extravagantly, but not in a way that burns you out or is unhealthy or whatever? How do you do that? Well, there, we'll talk about how to maybe specifically do that, but here it is. You get filled with God's love. What happens is you let his burning fiery love come in, consume your heart until it overflows, right? Like a river, just overflowing. So you literally gorge your heart on the love of God. It's how you become more loving. Love me. Wait, wait, you're, wait, you become less selfless by being selfish? No. It feels like it to those kinds of people, right? No, 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 that would be selfish, we got to sing songs like holy, holy, holy all the time. It's not about me. It's about God. Holy, holy, holy all the time, you know. All these songs about me. This is bad. We should be singing songs about God and not me, you know. No, it's not about me. It's all about you, Brian. Well, I'm going to serve you and sacrifice all of my needs for you. And, and no, no, you know, right. And the, people like that feel like letting God love them is selfish. Created whole theologies around that. 
And it's so deceptive because the way you'll actually become less selfish and want to give your life for others sacrificially without burning out, because the burnout was just because it was coming from you in finite source. If you're drawing from the infinite source of God's love, you won't burn out. If it really is, oh, I just love people too much. No, no, you love them with your love, right? No, it, it, infinite resources of love. If you really are tapped into the depths of God's heart, if his fire is really burning in you, you won't burn out. But it's also because you'll just keep going back to the infinite source. If you abide in me, John 15, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing because you are your own source. You're going to run out. But when you abide, when you stay connected in intimate relationship with Jesus and spend time with him, you let him love you, it will overflow. You'll have something to give your kids rather than just being grumpy or tired or frustrated. You'll have something to give your wife rather than just feeling hurt and wounded by your spouse and having no motivation to pursue them. You'll be refilled, right? Rather than evangelism being a guilt trip becomes his heart is burning with desire for people who are lost and going to hell. I don't want to run after those people with him overflow right overflow that perfect love drives out fear that perfect love drives out that self part of us that false self i should say and we find out who we really are we find out what it's like to really love and so we can only love as a response truly love with a holy love with a perfect love patience graciousness passion only as a response <clears throat> let, let, me just, let me just end with this. I, we don't, um, just because of what God did in the worship and the communion, I kind of took this message in a different place than I thought uh, originally, but definitely sense it's what the Lord is saying. That the Lord is wanting you to respond to Him and open your heart and let Him love you. And He wants to awaken love in you. Stop beating yourself up. Stop judging yourself. Stop looking at your own lack. Stop looking at your own weaknesses, your own fears, your own, you know, oh, but I'm not this, and I'm not this, and I'm not this. No, and start looking at Jesus. I think one of the greatest principles I could give you from 1 John chapter 4, and it's all over the scriptures, but like I said, I just, we just don't have time to go there today, is boast about his love for you, not your love for him. Stop trying to base your Christianity on what you do for God. Or what your love for him. And start basing it on what he has done for you. He loved you first. Take that and cause that to be the language of your prayers. The language of thankfulness. Okay, instead of trying to convince yourself that you love God. As you combat feelings of shame or condemnation or whatever it would be. It may not be shame in regards to God. It might be fear of what other people think of you. You know, sometimes people don't realize that I'm not talking about just like how God feels about you. I'm talking about what you are you dealing with with other people. It could be your calling. It could be fear other people are going to reject you or whatever. But whatever it is, you stop feeding on those things. You start boasting about what God says about you. You love me. You desire me. 
I remember being in Indonesia years ago, and the Lord, I was, in, uh, I was, I was awake early in the morning because of time, what is that, time, whatever, jet lag and all that. And uh, I'm up in the morning, I'm in this small little garden, and uh, I'm very passionate, and I'm telling Jesus how much I love him, and I want to seek him with all my heart. And those are good things, right? Like seeking Jesus and seeking his kingdom first and everything. And he was like, stop. No, I'm going to seek you, Jesus. I'm going to go after you. I'm going to press after you. He said, stop. And he said, I sought you first. Yes, Lord. Yes, I know. Yes, Lord. Yes, amen. And I'm going to seek you, Lord. I love you because you died for me. I'm going to live for you, right? It's the mantra of the hardcore And uh, he said, stop. I sought you first. And the Lord began to correct me. Not that it was bad that I was seeking God, praise God. It's that it was my own human effort. It's coming from myself. It was faith in my own faith. Right? I know that God likes me because I love him. No. No. Because of the cross. And he, ke- and he began to teach me. It was a hard lesson, by the way. So don't think it was easy. It didn't take like, was like, oh, that was it. I had this revelation from God in an Indonesian garden. And I'm fixed. No, it took years for what he said to become my reality. And so I kept pressing into that. You loved me first. You sought me first. You desired me first. And what God had to do was break... It had changed my language, but he had to break that foundation in me that was based on me instead of based on him. No, you love me because you love me. You love me because you said it in your word. And I had to get to a place where I didn't feel like God loved me. I was, I, there was a lot of stuff that happened in me. I, I thought God was like mad at me. I had these wrong conceptions of God being mad at me and I didn't realize they were there until he started peeling that away, right? Taking the boots off, washing my feet. Dang it, don't wash my feet. Let's put the boots back on. And he started peeling these things away, showing me that I was afraid of his rejection and his anger and things like that. And it was really tough. Or maybe for you, it's circumstances you're going through. I don't know if God loves me. Why well, I, I haven't gotten that job yet if God's faithful to me? I know he told me, but da 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 And I, you know, you're struggling with whatever's going on outside of you or inside of you. And I had to make a decision made a decision that I would die believing God. See, you got to understand I was in my early 20s and I kind of, I felt like I lost my calling and you got to understand that I felt like a mess and I didn't really have any hope that I'd ever be an emotionally whole person or relationally whole. Okay, there were some issues in my family and just some issues in the way I related to people that I just really did not have any hope of that in my early 20s. And here I was standing before the Lord and I had this promise that I'm giving to you now. That God's love will heal you, change you, and transform your relationships. And that if you'll just let him love you, it will cause these other things to happen. It will satisfy you. And I'll show you those scriptures later. It will build you in confidence, produce confidence in you, emotional wholeness and stability. It will cause you to believe God and believe his promises and step into the thing that he has for you. It will satisfy you in the deepest places of your being. We chase after money and this and that and the approval of other people and we still left unsatisfied. But when you're satisfied in God's love, man, you're just like, oh, I'm good. Oh, you don't like me? Oh, I'm still good. <laughs> you know? You know? That, it kind of hurts. But hey, you're still good. They like me. I'm being silly. You know? I'm using you as an example. Uh, 
And I made a decision. I made a decision. I will die believing God. I thought, you know, I may never feel whole. I might never. In fact, I thought, well, maybe when I'm like 40 or 50, if I keep at this like for like a couple decades, I mean, I'm not joking. I was like, if I keep at this for a couple decades, I've met some people who are older, they seem kind of whole. If I just keep at this, maybe it'll work. But I don't know. I called it my experiment. But I said, you know, a fool's hope, right? Fool's hope is what I called it. But I said, you know what, if I just keep at this, maybe one day, maybe one day. But you know, I said to myself, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to die believing God. I don't care if it kills me. I don't care if the rest of my life, I'm just an emotional wreck. Guess what I felt like? I don't care. And I made a decision. I'm only going to say what God says. Let this book of the law, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate in it day and night. Only this word. Only this word. The Bible. Only what he says about me. No thought in me that is not in him. No emotion in me that is not in him. How do you get his thoughts and his emotions in you? How do you get the reality of God into you? That it's his reality becomes your reality. The problem is not God, right? He loves you and he feels this way for you. The problem is not God. Right? He's made promises to you. Healing. Provision. The problem is not God. His word is forever established in heaven. Circumstances may not align. Your emotions, your thoughts, you might be jacked up. That's fine. You're not God. Okay? You feel this, you feel that. If it doesn't align with God's word, you're wrong. That's why I told God, I'm wrong. You're right. If we're in an argument here, you're right. Because you got to remember, I, I was, I'm stubborn, I'm skeptical, I'm an I'm angry person. I mean, used to be all this. So I fight with God all the time. I just decide, you know what, I'm done. You're right, I'm wrong. You love me, period. I don't feel like it. I don't get it. I don't know if this is ever going to change my life. I don't care. It's true. I'm telling you, unless you get desperate, and unless you talk like I talk, you're not going to see the kind of breakthroughs that I've seen. Because guess what? I didn't have to wait a couple decades. My goodness, I'm a satisfied customer. But most people I know, they won't do what I'm talking about. Whoa, that was weird. Came right off my ear. I guess the Holy Spirit's like, come on, Dave, you're done now. <laughs> I got to finish my sentence, all right, Lord? Here it is. Here it is. Most people, they do it for a couple of days, didn't work. Do it for a couple of months, didn't work. God's not the problem. I just decided, I'm going to die believing God. Until his reality becomes my reality. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. They're just a fruit. They're just a byproduct of something you believe. And guess what? You know your brain is just a processor of information? 
garbage in, garbage out. Let me, your brain is just a processor of information. It believes whatever you tell it. That's the most prideful thing about humans. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That whatever I think must be true. Whatever you feel must be true. Your feelings are following your thoughts. Your thoughts, they just, they just, they're, just by, they're just byproducts of what's been, what, what, you, what you believed. It's like a computer. You put stuff in, it's going to process that. It's time to part, start, start putting the truth in. Amen? Amen? And only the truth! Most people I know, they'll be like, I read my Bible today. Thank you, Jesus. You love me. And then they spend the rest of their day either grumbling, complaining, or worried that God doesn't love them. I'm day and night, right? Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate in it day and night. Day and night. Day and night. Well, how hard, how hard is that to understand? Day and night, right? You know what I'm saying? You go to work. Somebody says something mean about you. Thank you, Lord, that you love me. You can put your own words into it. Something bad happens. I thank you, Lord. You'll never leave me nor forsake me. I don't care if you believe it. I don't care if you feel it. I don't care if you understand it. How many people do I know? I don't understand. The Bible says we're dead to sin. I'm still struggling. Uh-huh. Which reality do you want to choose? Do you want to believe that I'm struggling in sin? How could it be true that I am dead to sin alive to God if I am struggling with sin? Oh, right, because you are the definition of reality. Good, thank you. Thank you. You get to choose. Do you want to believe what God has said in his word, that you really are dead to sin, you have victory over sin, or do you want to choose what you have been living in? That's what, that's what I'm saying. I decided, I don't know how this thing works, but I'm going to just go with God here. I'm just going with God. I'm going with the word, right? The Bible says in Romans 3, let God be true and every man a liar. Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm just going to say what you say. And I'm going to make sure this thing stays on my ear. We're going to get tape. Thank you, Lord. Get some tape. I'm only going to say what you say. Let him love you. Meditate the truth of his love for you. Be stubborn. I guarantee the rose will open. Husbands. Don't tell me, I tried. Stubborn. You know what I'm saying? He's unrelenting in his pursuit. Stubborn. Moms and dads, you got an Emma on your hands? Not I. I tried. We gave it a shot. Dude, I'm going down. You know what I'm saying? We're going to die doing this, okay? Like, if it kills me here... That's the zealousness of the Lord. That's the zeal of the Lord. That he's like, we're going to do what it takes. He did what it took. Amen? It took his own blood to make you right with himself. Let's stand. Kurt, lead us in response.